Hi there, Dr. B here with your module six through seven clarifying lecture. This will be the last clarifying lecture of the term because typically around module eight, everybody's moved on from the course. So this will be the last one for this term. Um, quick reminder that everything must be in by Monday at midnight. Um, I will be traveling back on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, or Monday and Tuesday, I should say. Um, Wednesday, I'll be back processing your final grades. So um, the registrar is very clear that I cannot give an extension, like a week's extension or anything like that. They will start sending me nasty grams. So everything must, must, must be in by Monday at midnight. Um, I gotta say, there's one big thing that I really want to emphasize um, now that this is our kind of our final um, final uh, clarifying lecture is that before you move on, um, if you are shaky with the basic concepts, reinforcement versus reward, um, what goes into the three-term contingency, what can can constitutes an SD versus a reinforcer versus a behavior. Really, honestly, you gotta review these. Um, you're gonna see these again. These aren't the things that you can kind of like forget and nobody's gonna really use this stuff. And you know, I'm never gonna work with a rat. I totally get this. And I totally get why some of you might absolutely hate this course. Um, and quite frankly, when I took it, I hated it too. Um, I didn't see the utility of it. I thought that um, Charlie was way too strict. Um, yes, I took this course with the author of our textbook um, and I still work with him to this day. Um, I thought that if I'm saying it and it's close enough, why doesn't this, oh my gosh, why is he so strict with all this stuff? And then about two or three years went by and I found myself saying the same things. And I found myself using this precision in my clinical work. And I found myself going, yeah, it really does matter. Um, these FI schedules really do matter. Um, you know, VR schedules, this totally explains XYZ. Um, I know that, you know, I talked to one student um, who said, I totally get why I procrastinate to the due date now. It's an FI schedule. And I'm like, uh-huh. Yep, you got an FI scallop going on. So these things matter. The way we talk about behavior analysis matters. Um, understanding these basic concepts when you get to 623, 24, 25, it matters. And also when you take that big test, remember that test has a 65% pass rate. You are not guaranteed to pass the BACB exam on the first try just because you graduated from Mason. Um, you got to have this stuff down cold. Um, so please, please, please make sure if you don't have this stuff cold that you're working towards that. Another part of that is writing. So I'm, you know, I'm sure some of you are like, why she's so, you know what about writing? And the truth is, is that if you're in schools, you'll be writing IEPs. If you are in clinical setting, you're going to be writing treatment plans. My treatment plans for my clients are upwards of 30 pages. Ask your BCBA, see if you can see some treatment plans if you're an RBT. Um, 
And you're going to be talking to insurance companies and doctors. And a couple things to know. First of all, insurance companies want precision. Um, if there is some sort of loophole that they can deny services, they're going to do it. Um, you do not want to go into peer review and have to justify your treatment plan with a doctor. I've been there. It's not fun. Thirdly, you want to make sure that you sound professional and that you know what you're doing. Um, if you don't look like you know what you're doing, then you're more likely to be rejected from your treatment plan. And the fourth thing is, is that you got to be on time. Uh, you know, you can't ask for extensions on treatment plans. Now, do I ask for like two or three days sometimes? Yes. Um, but that means that those, you know, it, we might go for a week and not be paid for our, the work that we're doing. Um, so these are skills that you will need. So this is not Dr. B is being strict because she's an ac academic and, you know, we're doing academic stuff and she likes to see us squirm and, you know, it, it, you know, she gets her jollies off of, you know, being strict with us. That's not it. I'm trying to prepare you for the task that you're going to have to do. And, um, yeah, I've talked to a lot of agencies, and one of the big things is writing and precision with terms. So please, please, please make sure you're practicing those because they are going to be important in the future. And you'll probably see the utility of this course a couple of years down the road. All right, so let's talk a little bit about your cyber rat. Um, I'm still seeing people reinforcing people and rats and organisms. Remember that if you are reinforcing a rat, there will be two rats. So you have to reinforce the behavior, okay? You cannot reinforce a rat. I'm definitely seeing um, some issues with elicit, evoke, emit. Okay, so elicit is respondent. That is when you have an unconditioned stimulus paired with a neutral stimulus, becomes a conditional stimulus. Conditional stimulus elicits responding, okay? If you are looking at an operant, so an operant is SD response reinforcer or SD response punisher, either or will work, then you are evoking. Okay, that contingency evokes a response. An organism emits a response, okay? Not display, anything like that. They emit a response, okay? So make sure that you're looking at what is the contingency and what's happening. Um, a lot of people are still getting DRO and interval schedules confused. And yeah, it really does matter. So in a DRO schedule, what happens in the interval matters. Okay, so paycheck. You gotta do work during that interval to get paid, okay? That work is paid, right? Response requirement, paycheck. With, a, with an interval schedule, what matters is the first response after the passage of time. So if you think about the bus shows up, you get on the bus. What you do before you get on the bus does not matter. Okay, it's the first response after the passage of time. Another one is, you know, 
the first 10 callers after this announcement got concert tickets to Taylor Swift. Okay, that is, um, that is an interval schedule. So it's the first response after the passage of time that is an interval schedule. If there is a response requirement, then that's a differential reinforcement schedule. I also saw some people, and I think they were trying to avoid plagiarism, which, you know, I appreciate that, um, that were saying reinforcer then response, and you can't have that. Reinforcer then response doesn't exist in operant learning, okay? And so, and then just a, as a technical thing, make sure that you are defining all technical terms and writing out acronyms the first time you use them. Make sure that you are defining the terms so that you're practicing learning how to define these things because you're gonna have to teach them to other people as behavior analysts. All right, so let's talk about interteach number six. Um, let's talk a little bit about joint attention and observational learning. So joint attention and observational learning are not for kids, okay? Everybody does it. For example, I am at the Association for Professional Behavior Analysts Conference right now. Um, shameless plug for um, APBA. Um, if you are a student and you join APBA, it is only $35 and you get a lot of really good professional resources as a student. So think about joining that. Um, so I'm at APBA and um, in order for me to enter the conference, I need to go get a badge. I have no idea where this, where this is. So I follow everybody else. That's observational learning. I'm looking to see what other people are doing. And then I behave accordingly and that behavior, if it works, is reinforced, okay? Joint attention. This happens all the time, and I want you to really think about this in terms of your conversations with your colleagues, with your spouses, with your significant others. First of all, you both are on the same topic, right? Chances are you don't lock eyes. You look away, you come back. You look away, you come back. You, um, especially if you're, let's say, um, serving dinner, okay? So you look at dinner, you come back to, you know, your conversational partner. You look at dinner, you come back to your conversational partner. This is something that we use to learn socially, okay? So joint attention is not for children. It's not about play. It's not about any of those types of things. Joint attention is a prerequisite for certain types of play. That is absolutely true. But joint attention happens all the time. Um, want to talk about verbal behavior versus contingency learned behavior um, or rule governance. So in rule governance, some sort of verbal response has stimulus control over behavior. In instructional control, that verbal behavior is an instruction. Okay, so put your, um, put your cans in the recycle bin um, versus put your trash in the green bin. Okay, though that's instructional control. Rule governance 
is when you don't have to experience the contingency, but some sort of verbal behavior is an antecedent and has stimulus control over your behavior. For example, don't step out in front of a car. You don't have to be hit by a car to learn that you shouldn't step out in front of a car. Um, or um, turn in your materials on time. That is, you know, that's a rule, okay? And so if, you, if you're experiencing the contingency, that's contingency learned behavior. If you're learning from some sort of SD and you're not necessarily experiencing the reinforcer, that is rule governance. Underneath rule governance is a special one called instructional control. You cannot earn instructional control. Instructional control is not something somebody has, okay? Instructional control is that instruction has um, stimulus control over behavior, okay? That's really important. Um, we use these terms a little bit too loosely and it causes us lots and lots of problems. Let's talk about stupid Susie. Okay, so some of you, um, some of you use some explanatory fictions like self-esteem and trauma and stuff like that. Remember that we're staying away from those because they're ambiguous, they're nebulous, um, they can't be defined, and they are not specific behaviors. Okay, um, rather, um, some of you said that you know you have the behaviors of recall and memory that happen, um, and most of you got that memory is a behavior. It's not a thing that's stored somewhere. You know, I saw, went to a continuing ed thing and somebody tried to show a neuron creating a memory. And I'm like, okay, that's not how this works. Um, memory is behavior. You have an SD, you recall something, and that recollection is reinforced. That's why we have things like false memory syndrome and things like that. And that's why, you know, our memories are rarely as they actually happened. Um, you know, I'm seeing that a lot on Facebook, especially with the pandemic, where people are like, oh, you know, I, I thought this happened XYZ time. It actually happened at this time, or this isn't how I remembered it. Um, so, um, Remember that recall is behavior. So stupid Susie learned some contingencies. Um, some of those have been recalled, but there's also verbal governance and rule governance. So one of the rules that Susie um, behaves under is I must study for hours or I will fail. Another thing is that I, it, I learned the rule I am not as attractive as somebody else. And so we know about rule governed behavior is that it is extremely insensitive because it's a higher order class. It's extremely insensitive to current contingencies. So those rules are much more sticky than experiencing the contingencies as they happen now. And that's basically the uh, kind of like the pretext, if you will, for acceptance and commitment therapy or training. Um, which unfortunately we can't get to in our seven core sequence, except to kind of um, give you a little bit of a teaser. But um, really rule governance is the heart of ACT. So something to keep in mind. Speaking of which, let's talk about RFT versus equivalence. So we're gonna get into inner teach number seven.
A lot of you did not understand reflexivity. Reflexivity is matching something to itself. So in this case, it's matching spoon to spoon, fork to fork, et cetera, et cetera, okay? Where you get to symmetry is when you're teaching picture to object, okay? That's symmetry. So you'll test picture to object, you'll teach picture to object, test object to picture. If that equivalence is working, teaching um, match picture to object should reverse without training. So I teach picture to object, fork to fork, and then I teach B to C, that's also symmetry, okay? So some of you missed that part, that I can't just throw in C and that's train and hope. Okay, so I teach A to B and then B to C, word to object, get me the fork, okay? Then I'm going, and then I'm gonna test the reversal, assuming all is well, I'm going to test, get me the picture of the fork. If that relationship occurs without training, that's transitivity. Okay, so reflexivity is self. Um, symmetry is A to B, B to C. And transitivity is C to A without training. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, matching law. Matching law is when um, you have concurrent schedules. Here's where some of you got a little bit messed up and I understand this is kind of a, it's a, a subtle thing. A concurrent schedule, there has to be two different responses that happen. So it can't be the same thing. Okay, so um, you have this one on this, uh, this area, this one, and this one. So I'm gonna give you the example that my mentor, Joe Lally, gave me. Now, this has to do with beer, um, but I think we're all adults here, so we can talk about it. Let's say that you um, have two bars across the street from each other, and they both have happy hour schedule, uh, happy hour um, um, things going on, specials going on. And so let's assume that both beers are equally preferred. So um, we're not talking about, you know, like good beer, bad beer. Um, we're talking about each of, the, each of these are preferred. And so let's say that um, beer A is, you know, three for a dollar happy hour spe specials. Also keep in mind that maybe I'm talking about you know, quantities of beer that are a little bit too high. So keep in mind that I'm not advocating um, binge drinking here at all. Please, please know that. Okay, so let's say three for dollar, bar A, bar B, three for a dollar, but 16 ounces. Okay, 12 ounces, three for a dollar, 16 ounces, three for a dollar. Um, you're probably going to allocate your responding to bar B versus bar A, all things being equal. That's what the matching law says, okay? So hopefully that helps to clarify what that means. Um, now, matching law doesn't necessarily mean matching. Um, matching law is we match our behavior to the reinforcement schedule. Um, 
but matching is actually the um, physical act of matching one thing to another. So identity matching, most of you got oddity matching and you got, you know, matching to sample, you guys were good with that. Um, identity matching would be something like um, you're at the store, you're going to buy Cheerios, you've got the store brand and you've got the generic and you buy the generic and it's like, well, it's just the same as the, as the regular Cheerios. You've now engaged in an identity match, okay? So um, let's talk a little bit more about RFT. So remember I talked about that uh, reflexivity, the symmetry, the transitivity. What happens when you have a group of responses or a group of stimuli that are not reflexive, they're not symmetrical? Like, you know, think about like, if Frank is Jimmy's grandpa, then he's also Tom's dad. And then you have to go through and look at all the relationships that happen there. Um, that's where RFT comes in. RFT talks about those things that are not necessarily reflexive or symmetrical, okay? Um, so we're talking about things that aren't necessarily equal to each other, okay? And if you're interested in kind of like some of these playing around with RFT a little bit, um, there are some really good exercises in Steve Hayes' A Liberated Mind um, where he does some of these kind of um, reversals. There's something called diexis that comes into this. Um, it, it's pretty cool. Um, coming back again to concurrent schedules, I want to give you um, just some ideas on what those could be. Um, and I'm going to use some gym references because health and fitness, right? Um, so remember that the reinforcers and the behaviors are different for the allocation of responding. So in concurrent schedule, you can go work with gym on squats or Frank on stretching. Um, you have the choice of boxing or spin. You can stay 10 more minutes or we can go home. These are all concurrent schedules, okay? All right, so um, let's talk about your questions. During my CyberRat experiment, uh, FI schedule, there wasn't evidence of FI scalloping. Instead, the reinforcer was delivered and then there were five to nine responses immediately after, um, before a short pause in responding. This made the cumulative graph not look like the examples in Catania. Is FI scalping typical but not certain to occur in an FI schedule? First things first, everything works in probabilities. There's always the chance that it doesn't happen. However, what you just described is actually an FI scallop. It just doesn't look as dramatic as Catania. Because remember, Catania is trying to draw it out so it looks really, really pretty. Um, yours may not be as pretty, and that's okay. Because what you said was reinforcer delivery, burst of responding, pause. That is still a break and run, and it's an FI scallop. It just doesn't look that way on the graph. This is why it's important to watch the graph, watch the, uh, the experiments, but also taking a look at that graph in a more fine-tuned way. If we were to draw out a few things on the cumulative recorder, maybe make it bigger, I would probably bet that you would see that scalloping. So um, look at the pattern of behavior as a scallop, not that you're looking for that dip. 
All right. Well, thank you for all of your hard work this term. I really do appreciate everything you've done. Um, this is the first time that we're offering spring break to online students, so enjoy that. And um, hopefully I'll see you around. Take care.